0: You know, several months ago, I was uh, planning out the sermon schedule for the remainder of 2022, and as I did, I began to reflect upon my 10 years of being your senior pastor here, and I decided I wanted to do something uh, to kind of commemorate the 10-year anniversary of me and my family's arrival here in Red Bluff. And so today, I have decided to present a modified version of the very first sermon that I ever spoke here at this church, and I don't know if anyone one of you will even remember this message. But since it was one of my, since it was my very first one, and since I'm kind of a nostal- nostalgic guy, I thought I'd present it to you again. I'm titling it "Reach Out and Touch." And in preparation, if you have your Bible, I'd like you to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter eight. We will be starting at verse forty. But while you're looking for that, let me kind of set the stage for you. Uh, Jesus is is fully into his earthly ministry, and he is walking the countryside with with his disciples, and he is preaching, and he is teaching, and he's healing people everywhere he goes. He just raised a widow's only son from death, and he restored a demon-possessed man, and this starts to create a buzz all over the place. Everyone is hearing reports about this Jesus, and he's starting to draw large crowds wherever he goes it has become quite apparent that Jesus is indeed someone special and becoming quite popular, I might add, with the people. And this is where we come to our scripture reference today in Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 48 I'll be reading this morning from the New King James Version. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be up on the screens behind us, and you can follow along. Luke 8, verse 40 through 48. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was the ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter about twelve years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. Now a woman having a flow of blood for twelve years, who had spent her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng you and press you. And you say, who touched me? But Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. Now, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Since my childhood, I have seen film clips of Elvis Presley when he came on the American music scene, and his fans adored him, not just as a rock and roll star, but they pretty much worshipped him like some kind of an idol. Girls cried. I've seen photos of them literally passing out on the floor at the appearance of Elvis Presley, who ushered in an entirely new style of music to our nation and the world. The same thing happened with the British invasion and the arrival of the Beatles. When they appeared on the Ed Sullivan show, the youth of America responded in an almost frenzied kind of a way. It was unlike anything that we had ever seen before. And we see examples of this even today. It never ceases to amaze me at how excited people get over celebrities and celebrity status. Americans nearly worship the celebrities and the athletes and the, and the movie stars and the cultural icons of our day. And in every instance, if that celebrity is within reaching distance, some adoring fan will fight through the crowd just to reach out and to touch them. Well, it was no different in Jesus' day. As I had mentioned earlier, he had become very popular. When Jesus ministered, people followed him around everywhere he went. And as his reputation grew, so did the crowds. He wasn't your typical rabbi. He wasn't your typical teacher. And people wanted to see him and they wanted to be near him because people knew that Jesus was different. He possessed great wisdom and, and, and knowledge and his teachings were unlike anything that they had heard before. The people knew that Jesus had courage courage because he stood up against the corrupt religious leaders of that day who in their pompous and, and unright attitude were leading people astray. He wasn't afraid to say to them the things that need to be said. People also knew that Jesus had power He cast out demonic spirits, he raised the dead, he healed the sick, he gave sight to the blind, he made the lame to get up and walk again. So people followed him wherever he went and people followed him for a variety of reasons. Now I want you to envision Jesus traveling through the villages and the towns with his disciples and his entourage following him. He couldn't go anywhere without attracting attention, just like many of our modern day celebrities and icons. But unlike the celebrities of our day, Jesus didn't produce good music. He, he, didn't, he wasn't in movies. He wasn't an athlete. He was the son of God who had come in the flesh. And he had the power to change lives and the power to change the world. He had a, a way of loving complete and total strangers, and he exhibited compassion and mercy to everyone that he came into contact with. He had the ability to look down deep into the hearts of men and to know what their intents and what their motives were. He had a mission, he had a purpose, he had courage, and along with that, he had the the determination to fulfill his destiny, even in spite of what he knew would be great agony and suffering and pain and rejection. Jesus was completely and totally committed to his calling because he was born to save mankind. He was born to bear the weight of our sin and by his shed blood, atone or cover or wipe away your and my sin. And through his sacrifice, the door would now be open for us. So we would no longer have to be separated from God the Father. And all the while, he spoke of a place where we would eventually spend eternity in the presence of Almighty God. And because of all of this, people were drawn to him. And and there there was an attraction that drove many people to simply want to reach out and touch him. But unlike celebrities and icons of our day, whenever you touch Jesus, something happens. You receive power there is power that comes with that touch. So this account that we just read in Luke chapter eight is one of a woman who experienced this firsthand. Here's a woman who has been sick for the last 12 years of her life. And yet she has the foresight and the faith and the determination that if she could just get close enough to Jesus, she would receive her healing. The physicians told her that there was absolutely nothing more they could do for her. So, this was a final act of desperation. She was sick and tired of being sick and tired, and she had nowhere else to go. She had heard of Jesus, she had heard of the miracles that he had performed, and she needed a miracle for herself. So she had enough faith to believe that if she could just get close enough to Jesus to simply touch even the hem of his garment, that he would heal her. This is not your run of the mill kind of faith here, ladies and gentlemen. This is what I would call an unshakable faith. Where does that kind of faith come from? How do you get to the point of knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus can heal you in an instant if you only touch him. I really think that the greater question this morning is, how do we get to that point? How do we get to that level of faith personally? I mean, we live in a very cynical world, a world that pretty much lives without any hope. A world that beats us down trying to convince us that there is nothing worth believing in anymore. A world that tells us that we are on our own for whatever amount of time we are granted to live on this planet. But I don't buy into that lie at all because the Bible tells me that my God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the same Jesus who walked the earth is the same Jesus who has the ability to forgive you of your sins and to make you a new creation and to bring new life to you. Jesus can solve any of your life's challenges and give you a new purpose. He can give you a new direction. He has the power to heal your body. He has the power to heal relationships. He has the power, yes, to heal your broken heart. He has the power to deliver you from addictions and strongholds and habits that are slowly killing you. He has the power to literally transform your life and to bring you from the very edge of destruction into a new, into a vibrant, and yes, into an abundant life. He has the, the ability to bring opportunities your way and to prosper whatever it is that your hands are applied to and he has the power to provide you with an inner peace, as the word of God describes it, the peace that passes all understanding. That simply means that no matter what is going on around you, no matter how crazy this world gets, and man, it's getting wackier every day, you remain unshaken because God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Jesus has the power to do all things, ladies and gentlemen, and all we need to do is to simply ask and to believe by faith in order to receive. And here's the deal. This story of this woman with the issue of blood is far more than just a story of a woman who had received her healing. Her story runs parallel even to our own lives and that every one of us has a need. Every one of us has issues and things that we struggle with and we need help with. Every one of us is reliant upon our heavenly father because he is our provider, he is our strength, he is our very source of life. Where her story doesn't always run parallel to ours is how she went about receiving her healing. She was not at all casual about this because she knew Jesus could provide for her need and she wasn't about to miss her moment with him. So with laser beam type focus, she pursued Jesus. She engaged Jesus and she received his healing power. And in doing so, she set an example for you and I And this morning I want to take a look at her actions and I want to use it as a clear example of the kind of focus that we must apply ourselves to our relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because this simple story establishes a template, if you will, on how we should pursue God. You know, one of the things that I struggle with the most in ministry is watching redeemed people of God walking around unfulfilled in their Christian walk. Their faith is weak. Their resolve is even weaker because they have yet to really experience God's fullness and God's power in their life. Oh, they're saved, but their daily existence often lacks any joy or or, or any confidence because they walk around with no expectation whatsoever that, that things can be better, that things can in fact change. They have yet to grasp an understanding of the power that is available to them as children of God. And furthermore, they have yet to experience that power, which has the capacity and the ability to completely revolutionize their lives. So this morning, I wanna point out a few of the details within this woman's encounter with Jesus, things that if we could emulate and make a part of our daily walk with Jesus would provide us with not just a great life, but again, the abundant life that Jesus promised us in the scriptures. And the first thing I want you to recognize in her encounter with Jesus is her desperation. Are you desperate for God this morning? Do you ever look deep inside your heart and ask yourself that question? Are you desperate for God or, or do you casually and seasonally seek him depending on your circumstances? Do you desire him more than anything else in your life or has he simply become some kind of an accessory to you? I love the worship song that we sing here sometimes. It says, this is the air I breathe. This is speaking about the presence of God. And it goes on to say, I am lost without you, and I am desperate for you. You see, far too often we approach God with a cavalier attitude. The mindset is kind of like, well, he's God, he's always there, so I'll just throw this request out to him. Let's see what happens. But understand, This woman, she did not have the luxury of waiting, nor did she display a a ho-hum kind of an attitude, let's just give this a try. She was at a critical point in her life. She had been sick for far too many years and she needed a touch from God. And you know, in my mind's eye, I can kind of see her fighting her way through this mob and understand the very nature of her health problem would have left her anemic and weak and frail. She couldn't have had much strength to maneuver herself through that crowd, but she knew that if she could simply touch Jesus, she would be made whole. And she needed and wanted that more than anything else. She was desperate to reach out and to touch our Savior. Sadly, many people in the modern day church have chosen to dilute, God's power. In fact, there are denominations and theologians who are referred to as dispensationalists. They say that many of the things that happened in the early New Testament church were for that dispensation of time, and they do not apply to us today in the 21st century. They believe that all of that ended with when the apostles died. And because of their theologically unfounded beliefs that I might add are based on their own lack of experience with the power of God in their personal lives, they deny the healing power of God, They deny the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They deny that miracles can indeed happen in our time and in our day in the name of Jesus. In other words, they believe it doesn't work like that anymore. That was then, but this is now. And to me, it is so sad to find those who have been educated in the Bible can believe such things especially since there are people all over the world who are still experiencing these same signs and wonders that happened in Jesus' day. I just don't get that mentality. Well, this deluded understanding of our Savior has unfortunately trickled down among many Christians in the church of Jesus Christ. And the result is we have churches full of a bunch of unbelieving and doubting servants of God, somewhat believing, Uh, God has the power to do all things, and yet doubting whether or not that power has any bearing on their situation or their life at all. In 2 Timothy 3, 5, they are described as having a form of godliness, but denying its power. This is simply no way to live, ladies and gentlemen. If that's what you believe about God, we're just wasting our time here. (laughs) I'm sorry, we are. My desire is to be a part of a church that fully trusts the scriptures and all of its promises and furthermore chooses to live by them. I want to raise people to live with the certainty that God is real, that he is powerful, that he is trustworthy, that he is in control, and he desires the very best for you and I. To be a people who know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this personal relationship we have with Jesus means something more than just a title. It means being in a covenant relationship with God Almighty. And within that covenant, we have promises and strength and power and access and yes, privilege, because we are children of the Most High God. We are the sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So I'll ask you again, are you casual or desperate? Whenever you reach out and touch Jesus, I want you to get desperate today. I plead with you to become a desperate people. The second thing I want you to recognize in this woman's encounter with Jesus is her determination. How determined are you this morning? How determined are you to seek God's fullness in your life? You see, God will be as close to you as you allow him. If you want to keep him at a distance, he's a gentleman. He'll stay at that distance. He will be as close with you as you want. His power will be as present and active within you as your willingness to seek and to grow in him. Living the abundant life in Christ requires action on our part. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It requires determination. It requires us taking the time to seek him out. This woman was so determined, she didn't give a thought to anything else. She didn't worry about the effort that it might take, and if she had enough effort or enough, enough strength to even get to Jesus, She fought her way through that crowd as difficult as I knew it had to be for her because she would not be denied her moment with Jesus. She would not allow any crowd or any discouragement from keeping her away from her moment of destiny. She had nothing to lose and she had absolutely everything to gain. And what's interesting about her story is as we look at our relationship with Christ this morning, here's something that needs to be said. We have no crowds in our way preventing us from getting close to God. We don't have any physical limitations that prevent us from reaching out and touching God. The only obstacles that we face, ladies and gentlemen, are self-made distractions. And sadly, We often allow these distractions to be a barrier between us fully communing with God. And then we lack the determination to push through and have our own special moment with Jesus. I remember having lunch with an old friend who often calls Pastor Dave when things are moving fast and furious in his life. He doesn't live here. He wants to get my take on his decisions that he makes. Sometimes before a decision is made, but about 99% of the time he wants my take after he's already made a decision. <laughs> so I sit and listen on the phone, sometimes for half hour increments without saying a word. And for me, that's not easy. I mean, I'm a pastor after all. <laughs> but you need to understand that my, my, my friend has been blessed immensely by God. He has a healthy family. He has a huge, beautiful home. He has a, an, an incredible business. All of the perks that a multiple six-figure income can provide. Yeah, multiple six-figure income. And so he proceeds to tell me of an investment opportunity that kind of fell into his lap where he was making money hand over fist. It was, it was just an incredible thing. And, and he asked me uh, in almost a guilt-ridden way if I thought he was being greedy. And I explained to him that every good and perfect gift the Bible says comes down from our heavenly father and to enjoy the financial blessings that God has blessed him with. But at the same time, as I always tell him, you've got to honor God by what you do with that blessing and how you live your life. I said, you honor him by the way you live, you honor him by the way you raise your children, and you honor him by giving back as generously as God has generously been to you, to his work. So as we continued to talk, I asked him, so how are things going at your church? And he admitted they hadn't been attending church very much at all, that he hadn't been paying his tithes like he had been in the past. His words to me were this, this new investment deal is keeping me so busy that I don't have the time to make it to church." And that's where I went from sitting quietly and and speaking. I told him what a cop out that was. I said, Mike, you're shutting out the the God of your life, who is the very one responsible for your blessings, including this investment deal that you're making money hand over fist with. The very opportunities that God is using to bless you with, you are using as an excuse or an obstacle to, to stay away from the very one who's blessing you. That makes absolutely no sense to me. And I reminded him again, I said, "I said you've got to be determined to lead your family and be the leader of your home. And, and if you had any bit of commitment or determination to that endeavor, you'd stop using these lame excuses that are keeping you and your family out of the house of God, something that you so desperately need and they need in their lives. Now, I use this example because we can all be guilty of this to some degree. When we allow the busyness of life and much less important activities to take precedence over our pursuit of God. I'm going to say it. We go and do things on Sunday that mean nothing and you should be in the house of God. Thank you for the 20% that clapped on that. I appreciate <laughs> it. Okay, I'm gonna end it th- that. that. I want you to think about that. I don't know how we can go from 100 people's swings from one Sunday to the next at this church. Do you know we can be 100 less people from one Sunday to the next? I don't get that. I'm on a soapbox right now, so I'm just gonna tell you. I, I don't. I don't understand that. If you love the Lord, if you are desperate for the Lord, if He is first in your life, why would you not be in the house of God on Sundays instead of out doing this and out doing? That? I'm not talking about vacations. You're entitled to vacations. That is fine. But you're not entitled to stay home and watch NFL when we're worshiping in this place. <laughs> Quick clapping, or I'll step on your thing. Yeah, football. Yeah. Yeah. What about what you're doing? (laughs) Okay. I feel better. Thank you. (laughs) The point is there is absolutely nothing preventing us, you and I, from reaching out and touching Jesus today. Absolutely nothing. When we get wrapped up in in with preoccupations and with a lack of determination, what's gonna happen is it's only going to produce a stagnant kind of a Christian walk. You're kind of existing and nothing really great's happening. You're just kind of there. It will be a powerless walk with no fruit being born in your life at all. It will become a faithless walk because without a determined effort, For you and I to want to engage Jesus, you will naturally settle for far less than his best in your life. Because in those moments when you encounter him, that's when his love and his power and his wisdom flows to you. So you gotta understand that you have to be determined to spend time with him. You must fight off the tendency to allow all the stuff and fluff and circumstances of life to get into your way. This woman with the issue of blood didn't. She was determined that she was going to connect with Jesus because she knew that that connection had the power and ability to change her life forever. So let me ask you again this morning, how determined are you to reach out and touch him? Can I just say, I want you to be determined in case you didn't get that hint. The third thing you'll recognize in this woman's encounter with Jesus is her faith. And as we talk about faith, how strong would you rate your faith level this morning? Hebrews 1, 11, 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. She needed to be healed. And she believed in her heart that Jesus would in fact heal her. This woman had the kind of faith that I wish we all had. It went far past what she could see or what she could feel. You see, if you base your faith upon what you see or even what you perceive in a situation, you're in big trouble. Why? Because your vision is flawed. You're not seeing the right things. Therefore, we must view all circumstances that require a supernatural move of God through our spiritual eyes and not our physical eyes, because if not, we will always lack the faith that is required. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us, for we walk by faith and not by sight. And since faith is an essential ingredient to God moving in your situation, a lack of faith can become our greatest hindrance. I read a story about Smith Wigglesworth. Anybody ever heard of Smith Wigglesworth? While praying for a deathly sick man, he asked everyone to leave the hospital room. He didn't want anybody in that room who doubted that this man could not be healed, could not be made whole, because he knew that doubt would prevent the healing from occurring. Well, in this same eighth chapter of the book of Luke, Jesus himself does the same thing. As we mentioned earlier in the scripture, you heard me mention this synagogue leader named Jairus. He had a very sick daughter. In fact, the news comes back after the scripture that we just read that Jairus' daughter is now dead. And this is when Jesus said to him, she isn't dead, she's only sleeping. And the only ones that Jesus allowed to pray with him was Peter, James, John, and her parents. He left the others outside of that home because he didn't want their lack of faith to get in his way. You see, unbelief destroys prayer. But the woman with the issue of blood never allowed unbelief to even enter her life. In Matthew, the disciples asked Jesus why they couldn't cast a demon out of a boy. And this is how Jesus replied in Matthew seventeen twenty: Because of your unbelief, For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So understand that even the disciples lacked faith at times, and they saw firsthand the many miracles that Jesus had performed. So Jesus tells them, you only need faith the size of a mustard seed, and I think we all know how tiny a mustard seed is. You see, our faith only needs to be minuscule to do and to experience great things. However, faith is like a muscle that when exercised, it grows and it gets stronger. So you got to get in the habit of exercising your faith. We've got to learn to boldly ask and to begin to believe. And in doing so, we will receive God's best in our life. And as your faith is exercised, your faith grows. You know, it seems we often wait for grave circumstances to occur before we're willing to lay it all on the line, before we're willing to, to believe like we have never, ever believed before, like when terminal cancer strikes and we have nothing to lose and everything to gain. So we reach out to God in those situations with a reckless abandon, unlike anything ever before. But my desire... And I believe that it is God's will and God's heart to see a church that is living daily with a faith-filled, reckless abandon in pursuing him every single day and in all and everything. It has to become our mindset, ladies and gentlemen. This was the mindset of this woman. And look what it got her. She received her healing. So I will ask you again, are you living by faith in God this morning? Because God wants you to be an expectant, faith-filled people. The final thing you recognize in this encounter with Jesus is her reverence. And We talked last week in my sermon about the fear of the Lord, of how refer- about reverence, and and. and and what, such, what big part reverence plays in this. In verse 47, it says, now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. This woman trembled before the Lord but she wasn't trembling out of fear. She knew that Jesus was a loving and a caring savior. She trembled out of reverence, being in the very presence of God. She understood her position as being the created one as she was approaching her creator. She understood her position as being the one who is asking to the only one, I might add, who could provide for the healing that she needed. You see, many people callously approach God like a big vending machine in the sky, or like some genie in a bottle. They view Him as someone who is there to grant their every whim, their every little, little want. But I believe that the way that you approach God will greatly affect whether your prayers are answered or not. And therefore, we must approach the throne room of God with reverence and honor for our Lord, because it is in the asking that our motives and our intents and our sincerity become known. And as we approach God with reverence, combined with determination and faith, we do so knowing that he is intently listening and he desires to touch us. And don't get me wrong this morning, I believe in a very personal and an intimate relationship with Jesus. In fact, when I pray, I pray to him like he's my friend. And why not? Because the Bible tells me he is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. But we need to approach God in a manner that is worthy of his lordship and worthy of the one who created everything, including the one who is doing the asking. You know, when I read this story, The most interesting thing to me about it is how that Jesus, walking through this huge crowd, being pressed on every side with everybody trying to get a piece of him, with all the noise and all of the chaos that you would expect in that kind of an environment, being engaged with the people, with everyone touching him as he's walking through the crowd, what made him stop and recognize that power had gone out from him? Stops dead in his tracks, and he says, I felt power. Well, first of all, he's Jesus. (laughs) He knows all things. He knew she was coming. He's waiting for her to come. But secondly, I believe that it was in her reverence, and I believe it was in her approach to the Lord. Jesus was able to filter through that mob mentality and feel the complete uh, sincerity and faith on the part of this woman. And therefore, this clearly shows me that this kind of approach gets God's attention. It also shows me that his power is waiting to go out from him in an instant when one of his children asks and believes in faith. You see, everything we read in the Bible is there for a purpose and a reason. Sometimes it's not just for the end result, but instead for us to take a look at how the the end result occurred. And I think this is one such story. This woman in her act of touching Jesus, she has taught us so much. And though Jesus is not here in the flesh today, you can still reach out and touch him in so many different ways. During your praise and worship, you can touch him. During your private prayer time, you can touch him. During the reading of his word, you can touch him. When you live a God-honoring life, you do touch him. When you do something for the least of these, you touch the Lord in a very profound way. (coughs) Excuse me. And the greatest thing that comes from any one of us touching Jesus is what this woman realized. His power reaches out and touches you. It may be his healing touch. It may be an answer to prayer. It may be in a fresh and new and filling of his spirit. It may be in a brand new resolve to start to serve him like never before. It may be receiving his peace and his assurance that everything is going to be okay in this situation you're dealing with. But always, always when you reach out and you touch Jesus, you can be assured he will reach out and he will touch you. Scott, will you come forward to have the worship team come up here? I had lunch with a young man who was a relatively new Christian. He said during one of our services when he prayed, he felt a warm rush come over him that he had never experienced before. It moved him to tears. And he asked me what it was, and I explained to him it was a touch of the Holy Spirit. And we both agreed how beautiful it is whenever we have encounters like that. And then he continued to explain to me in detail that moment and, and I saw that, I, I saw obvious things in what he did in his approach towards God. He went on to explain to me that, that how at that moment, his mind, his, his heart, and every bit of his attention was fixed upon Jesus at that moment. He said he was oblivious to anyone or anything that was surrounding him. As he sat in this sanctuary, his attention was fixed on Jesus and that made complete and total sense to me because what he experienced that day is exactly what God wants us to experience every single day of our existence. For us to know and to feel his power and and to experience his unfailing love because it is a tangible power. It is a tangible love that we sense. His desire is for us to cut through all of our man-made distractions and not be shortchanged from living in the fullness of God. Therefore, we, we can't afford to get lost in the pursuit of life, so much so that we neglect the giver of life. We must continually reach out and touch Jesus. We must allow his strength and his transforming power to literally transform our lives. If we are to be his church, if we are to be his bride without blemish, without stain, then we must be in the mode of seeking his very best in our individual lives. Because as we reach out to him, his power flows to us and through us onto other people. And we begin to live the kind of victorious Christian life that we once only dreamed of. And you know, in everything that I've shared with you this morning about reaching out and touching Jesus, there's one thing that I haven't mentioned yet. And it's probably, in my opinion, the most important element to all of this. It's essential for you to understand that that our Lord desires those moments even more than you do. You're not an interruption to his day. He longs for you to connect with him every single day, because he knows that it is only in a deeply connected and committed relationship with him, that true victory comes. It is within that relationship that you'll get empowered to do greater things for his kingdom. And so he desires, that you and I experience his power as it leaves him and comes upon us. The woman with the issue of blood experienced it. And you and I will also experience it if we seek the Lord like she did. Jesus awaits and he longs for us as his children to reach out and touch him. So we're gonna take some time to do just that this morning. And we will begin by participating in holy communion together like to ask the ushers to come forward pass out the communion emblems communion is a time when we remember christ's love and that he made the ultimate sacrifice to pay for the penalty of our sin and through his sacrifice through his death and his resurrection we can now be reconciled to god the father and receive the gift of salvation It is a priceless gift that assures us eternity in God's presence when our time on this earth is done. And it's something that we could never possibly earn on our own, that's why it's a gift. In fact, it's not just a gift, it's a a priceless gift. Freely given by the one who created you and who loves you. So communion is a time when we remember just as jesus commanded us to do his sacrifice and also to acknowledge his lordship but i believe it's also a time for us to give thanks and i think it's very fitting since we are in this week of thanksgiving because out of of all the things that we have to be thankful for living in the united states there's nothing more precious than this than his salvation so as we acknowledge and remember and celebrate and give thanks, understand our participation in communion should never be done casually. It cannot be. This is a sacred moment and this should always be treated and we should always approach this moment with the utmost reverence. The Bible offers us instruction on how to participate in communion in a way that honors our Lord in 1 Corinthians 11:27 27 through 29. to never participate in communion in an unworthy manner. This means if anyone does so without regarding or recognizing Jesus as Lord, he is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Communion is an ordinance of the church and it has been designed for those who are living in a redeemed relationship with Christ. Therefore, a person who is not in a redemptive relationship with Jesus uh, but who chooses to participate in communion, the scriptures make clear for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner. The unworthy manner means you are not in a redemptive relationship with Christ. You drink judgment upon yourself. So in order to not have anyone in this place eat or drink judgment to themselves, we are going to have a moment of quiet prayer if you've never accepted jesus as your lord and savior you can do so right now you can receive salvation this very day the scripture says if you confess with your mouth that jesus is lord and you believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead then you shall be saved so simply pray and tell jesus that you believe he is god's only son that he's the only way to god the father Ask him to forgive you of your sin, to be the Lord of your life. The Bible says if you confess your sin, he is faithful to forgive you and he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And then you'll be able to, and I might add, you'll be gladly and thankfully want to participate in this communion time with all the rest of us. And if for any reason you have not, or will not acknowledge Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then please do not partake of the communion emblems because you'll be eating and drinking judgment upon yourself. And I don't want you to do that. And for those of us here today who profess Jesus, we are in a relationship with Christ. The scripture doesn't just end there. It tells us, let a man examine himself. That means to look deep into our hearts See if there is anything there that needs correction. Is there unconfessed sin in your life? This would be the time to confess that sin. Have you turned away from God? Are you carrying around unforgiveness against another human being? If so, all of those things can be reconciled with the Lord this morning. So this quiet time of prayer is a time for all of us to humble ourselves, to reach out to the Lord. And when we do that and we clear things up, we are all able now to participate in communion together in a worthy manner, which is what the scriptures say we need to do. During this silent time of prayer, I want everyone in this place to pray to God in your own way and in your own words. Let us bow our heads in a quiet time of prayer and meditation. Father, you've heard our words more importantly, you've read our hearts. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the forgiveness and cleansing of our sin. We pray today, Lord, that the joy of what you have done for us will be evident in the way that we live our lives every day. Bless these emblems we're about to partake of. In Jesus' name, amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed and arrested and later to be crucified, he had the Last Supper, the final meal with his disciples, and Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it, and the breaking of the bread was representative of his body that would soon be broken. The Bible says that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, and it goes on to say that by his stripes, the beating that he took, we are healed. So when he breaks the bread, he gives a piece to each one of his disciples, and he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you do this, do so in remembrance of me. So as you eat the bread this morning, I want you to be reminded of the bruised and the battered body that was sacrificed for you and for the stripes that he bore for your healing. You may eat the bread. In the same way, he took the cup, which represented his blood, that was soon to be spilled. It's a blood that would atone for the sin of the entire world. And he says to them, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. So as you drink this juice this morning, I want you to be reminded of the precious blood that poured out of his body for you. For the forgiveness of your sin, you may drink the juice. Please stand with us as we sing.
1: Oh, the blood.
0: sense that I should open this altar this morning, especially in light of what we've talked about today in reaching out and touching God, because there are people in this place who need a healing touch from God. You're suffering with a physical problem, and it it continues day after day. And maybe like this woman with the issue of blood, you have grown weary. Today you can reach out, and you can touch the Lord because he wants to heal you. There are others here today who I believe are struggling with reoccurring or habitual sin. There's a stronghold in your life that you're having a hard time shaking free of you. You ask God to forgive you, but you go right back. Like the Bible says, a dog goes back to his vomit. You go back to the same thing over and over again. You just can't seem to obtain victory over it. Maybe an addiction that you can't break yourself free from, but it ends today. You bring it to this altar. And you reach out in faith and touch jesus some of you are in a broken relationship with somebody you love dearly you want more than anything for that relationship to be mended but you just haven't had the courage to take the first step today if you will reach out and touch jesus his power will give you the ability to do what needs to be done someone here today needs a a financial miracle. you are just about lost hope. You don't think you're going to be able to make ends meet, but I'm telling you that if you will reach out and you will trust, uh, touch Jesus, your source, I might add, for every good and perfect gift, he will truly touch you and he will meet your need. I'm telling you, he will supernaturally provide for you in ways and he will navigate you through this season unscathed. There is a marriage in distress here in this building today, maybe more than one. You and your spouse, you've drifted apart. You long for things to be the way they were once before. If you will come to this altar together and you will reach out and touch the Lord, he will heal your marriage. There are some of you who during our private prayer time ask jesus into your hearts prior to communion and i want to tell you that you've made the best decision of your life but it doesn't end there now you need to lean in to the one who saved you. you need to find out what his purpose is for your life and i believe if you come down to this altar today and you spend some time with the lord he will show you finally there are people here today and your relationship with jesus has grown cold you never really reach out and touch him anymore You've allowed life and obstacles and stuff and fluff to get in your way. You've lost touch. But today, you can change all of that. If you'll simply come up and reach out and touch Jesus, he will touch you. Whatever your issue is this morning, worship team's gonna sing through a song. And I'm gonna go around and lay hands on as many people as I can. If you don't wanna come to this altar, I'd ask that you pray for those who are at the altar. If you'd like to sit down, it shouldn't take any more than five minutes. We will close and a word of prayer. This altar is open for you to come and reach out and touch the Lord. I
1: give myself away. I give myself away. So you can use me. I give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. Here I am, here I am, here I stand, and Lord, my life is. <laughs> My own.
0: While those at the altar continue to pray, let's go ahead and uh, we'll pray and close this service. They are welcome to stay here as long as you would like sit in the presence of God. Father, I thank you for this day. Thank you for a story of a woman who had an unshakable faith and she received what she needed from you. Thank you for the example she set the template that she laid and father I pray that that would become our approach to you every day of our lives That we would seek you in faith and reverence and boldness father that we would realize that that we are the created yes and you are the creator but father you are the one with the power you are the one who can fix our problems you are the one who can strengthen us when nothing else will you are the one who can heal us you are the one who can provide for our needs because you are our God Let us never be afraid to approach the throne room of God with boldness and confidence. I pray that you would build up our faith, Lord, to be the faith like the woman in the Bible, that we would trust in you and believe in you for all things. And to know that when we ask, we're not imposing upon you, but we believe in you and we believe that you can answer our prayers. So I pray that you would build up our faith individually, each one of us, help us to exercise our faith in the little things so that when the big things come along, we will be all that much more confident that you have the answer to our our problem. Father, I thank you for your presence in this place. I thank you for this time of communion that we've had. I thank you for those who have given their life to you today. And I thank you for those who have come and they've laid their burdens down and they've reached out and touched you, God. And I pray that they would not walk away without feeling your presence and your touch on them. And that they would walk away with the confidence of whatever it is They're laying it here at this altar and they're walking away. It's no longer their burden to carry. They've given it to you, God. I pray that they will walk away in complete freedom and peace of mind. And Lord, as we go our separate ways today, as we end this service, I pray that your Holy Spirit would go with us, guiding and directing our steps, places we go, the things we do, the conversations that we have, that those conversations would be conversations that build people up and tear no one down that we would be bright lights shining in a very dark world and that brightness is the love of god that that flows in and through us father i pray that sometime this week you'll give us a divine encounter with another person where they will recognize your love in us and where the door will open for us to share your goodness with them and father that we would walk boldly through that door and you would give us the things to say. And we would invite that person to know you or even to invite them to church so they can come to know you. But we will take the opportunity to share your goodness. And Father, between now and the time we gather together again, I ask that you would keep us safe from sickness and disease. You would keep us safe from any accidents that might befall us till we come back together again as a church family and worship you in spirit and in truth. As we go our separate ways today, Father, I pray that we go in love and that we will love those, even those who are difficult to love and show the love of Christ wherever we go. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for being here.